Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined by two of my colleagues, of course, Chris Dorides. Hey, Chris. Hi, Mark. How's it going? That's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster this week. It um, has. Uh, shut down, shut down, oh. avoided. You know, I was ready to mark down my recession odds, and then the speaker gets ousted. I have to raise them back up. Uh, you got oil prices, you know, going to the moon and then fall into the earth. Oh, not to mention the tenure. We got everything moving around. Yeah, a lot of, lot, yeah, lot of volatility yeah. out there. A lot of, stuff a lot of volatility. On. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Well, we'll take a pulse of your uh, your uh, general view in, in just a minute because we want to introduce our other colleague, uh, Dante. Dante D'Antonio. And Dante is a regular here on the Inside Economics on Jobs Friday. And, and indeed, it's Jobs Friday. This is October 6th, the, the morning of October's Friday, October 6th. How are you doing, Dante? I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good. Cause you, you, you're going to yeah. do the heavy lifting here. I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. It was a, you know, it, uh, I've been following jobs reports for many years, let's say now decades, <laughs> a few decades. And it always feels like once, twice a year, we get a, what I would call an out of bounds jobs report, something that's way outside expectations. And this, this one was, Fortunately, it was on the upside, I guess, right? 336,000 jobs created during the month, but this felt uh, kind of out of bounds. But um, give us give us the rundown. What's your sense of the uh, the numbers and, and what it means? So I'm going to give you the sort of the straight rundown first, then we can talk about why I may you know, have some some buyback on some of what's in the report. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Yeah. This, that's, that's called expertise, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah. You're going to provide your insight in into... Here's the numbers, but hey, let me tell you what the real numbers are. Is that, yeah. that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fire away. Fire away. So we got a you know total gain of 336,000 jobs in September. Uh, 263,000 of that came in the private sector. Um, we also had substantial revisions uh, in an upward direction to the last two months, which is unusual given what we've seen recently. Total revisions to July and August were 119,000. Um, so it's a pretty big shift. You know, if you looked at the three-month moving average of gains last month before revisions, it was about 150k. Now, with a new month of data and those revisions, that three-month average is up to 266,000, which seems like a pretty big swing in you know in sort of expectations about where the labor market is going. Um, you know, obviously there's a big jump in government payrolls, up 73,000 this month. Um, also some big revisions there, which we can get into uh, a little bit later across other private industries. There wasn't a whole lot of notes, you know, small gains in construction and manufacturing transportation and warehousing moved back positive after the, you know, the shuttering of yellow Corp sort of had a hit last month. Um, you know, healthcare continues to be sort of the, the biggest steady driver of growth in the private sector. Mm -hmm. Uh, leisure and hospitality maybe was the, the one sort of quirk there where growth jumped back up to almost a hundred thousand after, you know, averaging, uh, only about 40,000 in recent months. Uh, so it was the biggest increase in leisure and hospitality since January, a little bit unusual. Um, in terms of hours worked, you know, average weekly hours were flat, uh, didn't change from last month. Uh, average hourly earnings was probably an upside surprise in the sense that it was a little bit weaker than expectations. It came in at 0.2% mm -hmm. you know, for the second month in a row, uh, which is obviously good news uh, in the you know sort of Fed's view uh, of wage growth needing to moderate further. The household survey was 
uneventful, I would say. There just wasn't a whole lot going on. You had small gains in the labor force and in employment as measured by the household survey, which left you with the unemployment rate unchanged at 3.8%. Uh, again, that's maybe a you know positive news after we had you know expected that to come back down a bit uh, when it jumped in August. Um, yeah, and household survey, just not a whole lot going on. Participation was flat. Uh, employment population ratio was flat. Yeah, there just wasn't a whole lot of change there relative to sort of the, the big surprise on the payroll side. So good, bad, bad, good. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it, you know, it's hard. I think you know, this whole you know, good is bad right now framing uh, makes this seem bad. I think at the outset, you know, this is a stronger report than we expected, which is probably bad news for the Fed. Um, you know, in, in he, hoping he, that the Fed would be more likely to raise rates, and right. if they raise rates, more likely to do the economy in at some point in the future. Kind right. of sort of that's the thinking. Yeah, but I think there's enough here to think that you know, hopefully the Fed will sort of see through that headline three thirty six gain and realize that you know this isn't really quite as strong a report as it might seem on its face. Right, right. And should they should they read through it? I mean, three hundred thirty six thousand. To my earlier point, is that one of these just one-off wacko numbers that are not consistent with other stuff and we should, it's more noise than signal, as they say? Yeah, I think there's a couple of pretty significant quirks in in the numbers, both in the revisions to the the past two months, which were big, uh, and in in the current month. So the revisions to the prior two months I mentioned were up 119,000. If you look at revisions to private payrolls over the last two months, they were actually down 12,000. So that revision oh. is almost entirely driven by government. Government <laughs> payroll payrolls were revised higher by 131,000 oh. in July and August. Do you know what's going on there? That, I didn't I didn't know that. That's interesting. So I started I, I think most of it is in state and local government. My guess is a lot of it's around seasonal adjustment issues. You know, that mm. time of year is mm. problematic always in terms of state and local government education payrolls. And so my guess is there's you know still some issues there and in, in sort of sorting out what's you know what's a post pandemic trend versus what should we expect to sort of go back to what happened in 2019. So I think there's just a lot of noise in the data still and not a lot of you know data that's clean yeah you know, that isn't sort of hugely impacted by the pandemic. And so you know, I think there's just some uncertainty around government payrolls at this point. Just to make sure I have this right, you're saying we had these upward revisions to uh, payroll employment growth in the previous couple months. And that was all in government, excluding government, private sector payrolls actually got revised down again, consistent with the downward revisions we had been getting. Yeah, it was a very small downward revision. It was only 12,000. And there, still, you know, if you look at the industry yeah. level, there were some industries that were up, there were some that were down, but they were all pretty minor. And they walked, you know, the, the net result was it was down a bit in private, in private payrolls. And it's not like state and local governments just discovered they had hundreds, tens of thousands of more employees. You're saying it probably is related to measurement. Seasonal adjustment would come to mind. You don't know for sure, but that feels kind of sort of what's going on here. Yeah. I, I mean, I started to look into it a little bit before we got on. And if you look at the sort of the unadjusted movements in state and local governments in July and August, you know, they're... It's hard. They've shifted, obviously, yeah. over time. There was you know, big differences in 2020 and 2021 for obvious reasons. And now, you know, sort of 2022 and 2023, it's a question of, you know, it looks different than it did in 2019. And is that, you know, a sort of real difference that seasonal adjustments should be accounting for? Or is it still, you know, sort of we're working our way back to some pre-pandemic trend in the unadjusted data? And so I think there's just 
there's not a lot of information for the BLS to go off of at this point to figure out, you know, what's the right seasonal adjustment factor in some of these industries that move a lot month to month. Um, and so I think there's just still a bit more uncertainty than we're used to. Now, one of the reasons I think that we've been getting these these revisions, you know, to previous months, and they've been consistently down in pretty large. Last month they were downward revisions were I think one month like July got revised down 100k or something something like that. Uh, our thought was that it goes to response rates that the the response rate. So this is a survey of businesses, the payroll survey, and uh, businesses are responding at a lower rate, at least initially, uh, and they ultimately respond a month or two later, and thus the revisions. But initially they're low. Do you give a sense here where the where, was the response rate low again? It was, yeah. And if you it look, was. you know, across the last three months, it's been particularly bad, right? So mm. if you go back to July, the response rate for the first release of data was the lowest that it had been since 2008. Uh, in August, the you know the actual response rate was below 60 percent, and it was the worst since uh, the early 2000s. I think 2002. And then again, here in September, the response rate was better. It was up to 68% roughly, but that's still the lowest for a first release of September data since the mid 2000s. I mean, oh. response rates are pretty bad across the board right now. Uh, they, they do get better on the second and third release of data, but you know that first print that we get is, is more tenuous, I think, now than it used to be given those low response rates. Right. Interesting. Any other technical measurement issues you want to call out? Yeah, I mean, I would say the other thing, you know, I mentioned the Legion Hospitality jump in September, you know, that again, if you look at the unadjusted versus the adjusted data, I think you could argue that there again, you know, there's a big seasonal movement that happens in September all the time. There's actually a big decline in the unadjusted Legion Hospitality payrolls in September as you get the sort of shift from summer into fall. Um, and that the size of that decline has moved around a lot here since, you know, 2019, if you look at, you know, sort of the early pandemic and then now, and I think again, it's a question of, what's the right seasonal adjustment factor, right? Is is the data we're seeing now sort of a true representation of what it is, or is it we're still adjusting back to some normal? Uh, so I think there again, that boost that we saw in Legion Hospitality could be in part driven by that sort of uncertainty in, in the seasonal adjustment process. Um, you know, if Legion Hospitality was something closer to what it's been in recent months, mm -hmm. private payroll growth is, you know, close to 200K again as opposed mm. to 260 yeah. and obviously well off that headline 336. So I think there's reason to think that, you know, certainly if you're just looking at the headline, it's almost certainly overstating the case here for, mm -hmm. for the month. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bottom line, job growth, the job market is strong, no debate, uh, but probably not nearly as strong as the top line 336K in the upward revisions of previous months would suggest. I would agree. Yeah. You would agree with that. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, Chris, uh, any holes in Dante's rundown you want to fill in and what's your interpretation of the numbers? No, I think you, you got it. And my interpretation is similar that directionally, sure, things are strong, but I, I do fear that there's some measurement error in this number. I'm not taking at face value and I don't expect the Fed will either. Right. So, okay. So you're strong, not as strong as the, the, the headline number would suggest. Right. Okay. Yeah. Guess, do you oh, take the, uh, do you take the wage number at face? Well, that's pretty good. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I gotta be careful 
that I don't spin everything positively, <laughs> but yeah. I, I kind of spin it positively, right? Yeah. I mean, the I, you know I want to see jobs. Uh, it, we like jobs, uh, and the other interesting thing about the report, correct me if I'm wrong, Dante, that you didn't mention, very broad based job creation. You, you know, yeah. a lot of jobs. You're right in government, healthcare, hospitality, uh, leisure and hospitality. But it felt like I was looking through the BLS has this nice table where it shows employment uh, change by month by industry. There was a lot of a lot of industries that were up. I you know uh, I don't know. There's a diffusion index that you know kind of captures that. I, ho- I hope I'm not taking anyone's stat for the game. But is my sense of the number correct? Was it broad based? Yeah. yeah, it certainly was. And the diffusion index was up a bit relative to where it's been in recent months. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think yeah, if you look at major industries, the only decline was in information, which again, it, you know, is the you know, sort of actor strike issue probably still playing out there. But if you look at major industries, there was still growth almost everywhere. It's just it wasn't huge amounts of growth. But I think in terms of you know looking for pockets of weakness or places where payrolls are actually declining, it's still hard to find those, which is a good sign. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, I look at it and I see strength. In you know, in in some respects, it's not surprising we would see strength. I mean, this kind of job gain, yeah, but the third quarter, uh, the just ended third quarter, that was a pretty strong quarter. I say a really strong quarter for the economy. I mean, we do the, you do these uh, tracking estimates for GDP, real GDP growth in the quarter based on oh, the data flow that's coming in the monthly data. Where are we? We were at three seven last I looked, or something like three, that. Seven, three point seven percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's annualized GDP growth. And just for context, the economy's underlying potential growth rate is probably around two. That's almost double the underlying potential growth rate. So it's not surprising you'd get a solid job number. Uh, and also the other data in the job market feel pretty good, right? I mean, UI claims, initial claims for unemployment insurance, remain around just over two hundred thousand per week, which is very low. So layoffs remain low, and the jolts numbers we got, uh, job opening labor turnover survey data. We'll talk talk about that some more, but that looked pretty good. So not surprising that we would get strength. And here's the other thing that I think is really important uh, and comes out when looking at the household survey. The, the so you got the survey of businesses, the payroll survey, and now you got the survey of households. It's the basis for labor force and unemployment. The supply side of the labor market remains very strong, even stronger than the demand side that we just talked about, right? I mean, labor force growth is really very good. I mean, uh, year over year, I was looking 2%. uh, That's kind of double what you would get, I think, we think we would get. that Even more than double, uh, you know, given demographic trends and and the aging of the baby boom generation out of the workforce. Uh, And that goes to labor force participation. That goes to uh, immigrant uh, uh, workers coming into the into the workforce, and and if you kind of look at the average monthly change in labor force, it's two hundred and seventy five thousand per month over the past year. So, and that goes to the kind of the stable unemployment rate, which is somewhere between it's been between three and a half, rock solid between three and a half and four percent for all you know at least a year and a half, probably coming up on two years. I can't. I need to take a closer look, but that that's pretty amazing. That's you know very strong uh, you know healthy uh, labor supply, so yeah we got we're getting all this labor demand, but we're also getting a lot of this labor supply and unemployment stable. Other measures of labor market slack all are 
strong labor market, but stable, nothing suggesting overheating. And then on top of that, you get, as Chris said, the average hourly earnings, that's the measure of wage growth in in the report. And that was pretty good. Uh, you know, it was, came in, I think, what, two-tenths of a percent increase, you said, on the month? Yep. Year over year, what, four point something, two, something like that? Year or over two, year. yeah. It's four, yeah. four, one, five, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you, you know, I mean, everyone's got in their mind, every economist has in their mind, 3.5% is the right kind of number for wage growth to get inflation back to target. That's 2% inflation. And then you add in one and a half percent underlying productivity growth. But I, I never really understood why it's three and a half, by the way. Feels like it should be four, right? Two and a half percent CPI inflation plus one and a half percent productivity growth gets you to four. Why are we using, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? But, but I'm splitting hairs, but that's the point. We're, we're within spitting distance of, you know, statistical spitting distance. I, I like that term, statistical spitting distance. I don't, right? You know what I mean? Technical term, yeah. Yeah, statistical spitting distance of of target. So I look at the report. At first blush, I go, oh, this is going to be a bad day. Yeah. You know, bond yields are going to rise. And I want to come back and talk about bond yields because that seems to be the b- biggest threat to the economy in the most, you know, the most immediate uh, immediate threat to the economy. Uh uh, and, you know, stock prices would be down, but, uh, you know, you look at the internals of the report, I just feel a lot better as I look deeper. And now I even feel better listening to you and hearing some of the, the technical factors. So I, I came away thinking, but again, I, I, I've been, I tend to spin things positively. I got to be careful about that, but it, you know, it felt like this could be spun positively. Even you, it sounds like even you, Chris, same, feel the same way. Yes. Yes. I, I don't. Again, you look at it at face value, assuming the data is right, there's very few blemishes here, right? If any, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Anything more on the employment report uh, before we move on? And we are going to keep this a relatively short podcast because the podcast we've been having, I don't know if listeners have been, I'm sure they've, 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 been, they've noticed this, but they, they've been very long. I mean, like, a, like an hour and a half long. It's like movie long, you know, kind of podcast. Uh, getting, getting a lot of good feedback, but nonetheless, they're they're pretty long. So we'll keep this one relatively short. Uh, but anything else on uh, on the uh, the job numbers that you want to call out? I guess you uh, you alluded to the jolts and the job openings were mm-hmm. up a lot as well. So this would be consistent. You know, a strong uh, labor demand in the openings report, translating into sl- strong uh, payroll growth here, but. I also look at that Jolts number and I'm suspicious of the validity there as well, given. I was going to say that's another one where the the big jump was almost entirely in a single industry, which yeah. always makes me a little bit apprehensive. Oh, what was, oh I didn't know that, Dante. Uh, Dante, yeah. you were like a wealth yeah. of information. I, yeah. I'd love to have you on. So what was that? Uh, yeah, so openings were up roughly 700K over the month, but about 500,000 of that was in professional business services, uh. which have not been particularly strong in terms of job growth recently. So I, I mean... I think that would be the biggest increase ever in a single month for job openings in that industry. I mean, which just feels oh, unlikely. Feels strange. Isn't that where temp help is too? Isn't that temp help? And that's that been declining. Where temp help is, that seems yeah. weird. Uh, really it it weird. seems like a weird fit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, Again, I think o- the survey response rate there is even lower. Low. Yeah. Yeah, it's very bad. Yeah, but uh, you know, other than that, that that pop in job openings, which now feels, given what you just said, even less real. Right. Other uh, elements of the jolts felt pretty good, right? For if, if you're looking at a a strong job market that's throttling back, it's strong 
low layoffs. That's yeah. I view that as a very positive thing because I just don't see how you get a recession without layoffs. I, I just don't see it. I, you know, consumers are going to keep spending until they're spooked, and the only thing that really spooks people is that they start losing their job. And then, well, from a wage inflation perspective, quits the quit rate is you know all the way back into pre-pandemic, and not uh, it is consistent with the kind of the average hourly earnings, the slower wage, the moderating wage growth that we've been observing. So that all felt pretty good. Yep. Hiring rates. But that's back to pre-pandemic. You know that felt pretty good. So, I, I thought you know that that one was uh, the jolts was a, a you know pretty good um, report altogether as well. I didn't mean to ask on the jolts while we're on the topic. Uh, the uh, job openings. Um, I, I've kind of been making this argument that um, it doesn't really cost businesses anything to keep open job positions. I mean, historically, the cost might have been greater because if you have an open position and you start advertising, you'd have to pay help, you know, the newspaper, the local newspaper for help wanted ads. And and they were expensive back in the day before online help wanted. But now there's really no very little cost to, you know, keeping an open position. And if you're a cautious business person who's been through uh, a lot of labor shortages over the years, pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, post-pandemic, you know, you, you, you have an incentive to keep those positions open, even though you might be slow walking the hiring. So I, I kind of downplay the informational value in the open positions. Uh, Dante, would you concur with that perspective? Yeah, I think certainly in the noise of the data, and I think just in the sort of level today relative to you know 2020, I think there's a reason to believe that we shouldn't make too much out of the fact that openings are higher than they were three years ago, four years ago. Um, and certainly the month-to-month volatility, I think, is you know probably largely driven by low response rates. You know, if you look at the openings from Jolts compared to like the you know Indeed publishes a measure of of job openings as well, and they. They trend mostly the same. It's just that the jolts data is just all over the place. You know, it jumps 500k and then falls 600k, and then you know, so it's just very noisy relative to the Indeed measure. But they both have been trending down, which I think makes sense. And you know, they're both generally moving in the same way, but they're still higher than they were pre-pandemic. Which again, I, yeah, I don't know that I read much into that for the argument that you make. It's just not that expensive to keep positions open. And firms might just be sort of hedging their bets a little more than they used to in terms of you know leaving positions out there. What do you think, Chris? Do I, do I character? Do you feel the same way as I do about the job openings numbers? Yeah, that's right. It's maybe directionally helpful, but there's some measurement there as well. Measurement issues. Um, hey, one other um, measurement technical issue, just to get it on, uh, get it out there. Uh, strikes. I mean, we've been having a lot of strike action, seemingly UAW. Um, the actors, uh, writer strike, uh, hospital, Kaiser Permanente. Did that have any impact on the numbers today, Dante? So no impact today because the you know, the actor strike was already ongoing last month, and so you know, the adjustment was essentially the same. So the net effect for September would be nothing, and then the you know UAW and the Kaiser Permanente strikes were were too recent. They weren't you know they didn't encompass the full reference period in September. So those won't you know if they continue, they could end up showing up and impacting the October data. But there was no effect uh, on this report from strike activity. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay. Let's play the uh, game, the stats game. Uh, the the uh, game is we each put forward a statistic. 
The rest of the group tries to figure that out with questions, deductive reasoning, clues. The best stat is one that's not so easy, we get it immediately. One that's not so hard, we never get it. One bonus if it's apropos to the conversation at hand. Uh, so, uh, Dante, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, let's go with 3.4%. Okay. In the jobs report? In the jobs report, yeah. Uh, household survey? Not household survey. Okay. That means it's the payroll survey. survey. <laughs> <laughs> is it related to wage growth? It is, yes. Oh. Oh, wow. Uh, is that... Oh, I know what it is. Chris, you're going to bow oh, to me. No, please. I have please. to bow to me. <laughs> It's the three-month annualized change in average hourly earnings. Yeah, I served it out. I mean, it's one of your favorite. You, you know, yeah. you, you love it. Oh, and, you're, but... say, you're saying that was an easy one. I, for you, no, because it's, it's, it's in your wheelhouse. It's one that you think about. You've in used my it before. Wheelhouse? Oh, in your my wheelhouse. Gosh. <laughs> I, oh, you that was really? well done. That was well done. Oh, great, thank you. Great job. That's what I wanted yeah. to hear. <laughs> just That's wanted a pat on the back. There you go. <laughs> it could, I, I was thinking. I tell you that. Yeah. I was in in year over year growth rates, you know, it was yeah totally in the right wrong place, and you went right to the wages. So, well, and that's a really good statistic, right? Yeah. Okay, you want to explain, Dante, why that's a, that's very encouraging, actually. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, we talked about the year over year growth rate is is still four point two percent, but if you look recently, right, August and September, you know, month over month growth was only point two percent. You know, back in July, it was. Slightly higher, it was 0.4, but I think it was actually a little under that uh, unrounded. So if you take that three-month annualized rate, you know, it's down below 3.5%. Um, and you know, we talked a little about should we trust the wage number in light of everything we just talked about with the report. And I think you know, there's a couple of things. One, the, the wage number for August actually didn't really move much. And two, you know, this we talked about all the issues with government, but the wage numbers that we're referencing here are for are for total private payrolls, right? So any issues that are happening in government aren't going to necessarily affect the the wage measure that we're looking at. Uh, so I think there's more reason to think that this you know is a is a number that we can rely on a little bit more heavily. Um, and obviously that three point four percent, you know, you said there's you know maybe we shouldn't be worried about three and a half percent being the the target that we need to get to, but certainly. This is signaling that we're moving in the right direction. That wage growth is you know likely to come under four percent year over year here pretty quickly. You know maybe get to three and a half percent, maybe not. But I think it's it's going to be in that range that we're talking about where the Fed is going to feel more comfortable with wage growth here pretty quickly if things continue. And of course, the wrap against average hourly earnings, uh, the wage measure in today's numbers is that it can be influenced by the mix of uh, job uh, growth uh, by cross industry, cross occupation. Uh, so you have to be careful in using it. But having said that, the uh, the best measure, or at least the one that we feel is best, the Employment Cost Index, ECI, that's a quarterly. That'll come out, what, uh, the end of the weeks from now, year. two, yeah. three weeks from now. That also has been moderating, too. I think it's kind of four to four and a half percent-ish. In fact, in fact, I think in Q2, in that quarter analyzed, it was 4%, I believe. Yeah, it's definitely come in. I don't you come in. You probably yeah. remember the exact number better than I do, but yeah, it's definitely been showing a similar trend. We just don't get yeah. the update as frequently. Um, it, it, yeah, and it, certainly the mix could be. Yeah, you know, we had a big jump in leisure and hospitality payrolls. Those tend to be yeah. lower paying, so there's some reason to think that maybe that's weighing a little bit on it. But we got a good number last month as well when leisure and hospitality growth was pretty sluggish. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, certainly there are you know issues there, but I think it's a, still a fairly good measure of what's going on. It, and so, bottom line, your sense is. It, it, we're 
within statistical spitting distance of where we need to be on wage growth to be to make everyone comfortable that the Fed can hit its inflation target of two percent. Yeah, that's the way I read it. I yeah. think it gives another, you know, again, if you're thinking about how the Fed's reacting to this report, I think it gives another notch to say, hey, they hopefully they don't overreact to that top line number. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Good that good statistic. Uh, Chris, you want to go? Uh sure. Four hundred and eleven thousand. Was it it was in the jobs report? Nope. Oh, geez. Geez. Now on oh, like I'm totally you know. Is it labor market related? So disoriented no. now. It is. Yeah. <laughs> That was my that was my plan. Uh, it is labor market related. Is it from the jolts? It is not from the jolts. Okay. And is it from UI initial uh, from the unemployment insurance? No. No. Okay. Is it, it is a report the... that came out this week? Yes. Ooh, it comes out continuously, so it's uh, summarized. Oh. But and you said it's labor market oriented. No, yes. it's not labor market oriented. It is labor it market oriented. Is, it is labor yes. market. It's from the BLS data. Oh, it's real it's, time. It's kind of continually kind of, coming out as well as events transpire. <laughs> wow, that's related to to strikes. Yes. yes. Okay. Oh, okay. You're, you're there. You're there. Four eleven thousand. That sounds like a lot of strikers. Is that could that possibly be right? I mean, it is up to four hundred eleven thousand. It's the number of uh, people involved in a labor action and involved in strikes uh, this year, year to date. Oh, oh, year, year to date. date. Okay. okay, year, year to date. date. Yes. Okay, that, yeah, yeah, yep. okay. exactly. Not, not. Yeah, once. yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's interesting. And okay, I guess it's up a lot, quite a bit, from where we've been historically. It's up a lot from certainly where we were in the last few years. Um, it's about three times the average over the last decade, so it's a lot. Um, but at the same time, we had. In uh, 2018, 2019, that was all, there were also big years for strikes. We we're also in these 400,000 range. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and if you go back to the 90s, right, we were in this range as well. So, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of strike activity going on. Certainly, it's having an impact, but I think um, the anomaly might not be so much that it's higher now. My, the anomaly might have been that it was just so low <laughs> over the last decade. So. Like all things we're seeing, there may be a reset in our in our baseline, right? Uh, as we talk about the ten year or other rates as well. So, yeah, so I just wanted to call it out as uh, yeah, no. Now there's a lot of talk about labor actions. I don't see them as being the real driver of some of the statistics we're seeing in the in the economy when it comes to wages and whatnot. So it's yeah, still a relatively small share. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It, it, it would be surprising if we didn't see more labor market action. I mean, the labor market is strong. And so the, mm -hmm. the kind of the power dynamic between workers and their employers is more balanced than it has been in a long time. So not too surprising. Um, and it, actually the actions have been less kind of um, di disruptive than I had thought. Like at least the, like a good example is the UAW strike, at least so far, obviously that's still ongoing. Uh, but when it first started, you know, the fear was it would be that there'd be broad based shut uh, strikes, uh, shut down the activity of all all activity of the big three automakers. And, and we're not even close to that. Right. I think we were, we had a macro meeting this morning and Mike Brisson, our out analyst, was saying, I think it's 17,000 workers that are now out uh, at the UAW and they have 145,000 all in. So it's still very modest by by that standard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how these actions play out. Is this the better strategy? 
for both sides, right? Kind of more of limited versus kind of the mm-hmm. nuclear option. You just go mm-hmm. all out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But you're right. Okay. The other strikes this year for, with some exceptions, of course, they seem to have been resolved in yeah, fairly but, short order. Well, like the, the, is the, I lost a little bit of track. The, the, the actor's writer strike, is that, it's been settled, right? Or the writer's strike has the been writer's settled. has, but not the actors. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, ready for mine? Yeah. Eighty point eight. Uh, some participation rate. Uh, it's not a participation rate. That employment population ratio. It is indeed. Is prime. 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 Okay. Yeah. Too easy. I knew it was going to be. <laughs> Damn. Uh, that was. It easy. was down a little bit. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah, it ticked down, uh, and it's no higher than it was from the beginning of the year. So it's it's kind of where you would think it should be by looking at his, the history, uh, consistent with a full employment economy, but no higher than that, no lower than that. Feels really good, and it's stable. You know, very very stable uh, since the beginning of the year, along with the unemployment rate. So another indication that. Just consistent with the idea that the labor market's strong, but not overly strong, not you know blowing past full employment, and kind of where you'd want it to be. It's like a really good labor market. You know, feels feels very good. Okay, and I and I like looking at the prime age. That's twenty five to fifty four because that's kind of the teeth of the labor market. You know, right there. Um, okay, uh, let's. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about um, something you brought up, Chris, earlier about. Uh, at the start, your, your emotions getting swung around here by all kinds of things going on. Uh, and one thing that's moving around a lot is long-term interest rates. Uh, in fact, do you know, um, uh, at the beginning of the day, when the numbers came out, bond yields really took off. I think they were up at some point, 15 basis points, 0.15 percentage points. That's a big move uh, in that in the long-term interest rates. Do you have any sense of you know what, where we are right now, and also uh, in in that context, has there been any change in market expectations for a Fed move, another rate hike at the next meeting in November? Uh yes. So real time, as of what eleven thirty on, on Friday here, uh, we're at four point seven eight on the ten year. Oh, so you're right. Whoa. They they shot Let's up back and in. Then- They've yeah. come back in. They're still up about six basis points. Six basis points. Okay. Uh, from yesterday, and then on the Fed, <clears throat> I did notice this morning that or, you know the uh, the odds of a um, a hike in November or December have gone up, um, based on the CME Fed Watch tool, right? Somewhat. It, it still the 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 majority about. 69 70% is still calling for a oh, pause. Okay. Okay. Um but that's about a 10% increase in the uh, part of the market that believes there will be a, a 25 basis point hike. So well while you're looking at your screen what about stocks? Uh cuz they were there was a lot of red early on after the release. Yeah. <clears throat> what was it? Uh it's turned green. Turned green. Yeah. yeah. Oh. A okay. little bit. It's not screaming green, but uh, yeah, it was it was down, but now they're they're back up a bit. Uh, okay, so markets are kind of digesting. digesting it the same way we are. It sounds like yeah, yeah, yeah I okay, think so. okay. And I'm looking so through. they're looking through it and saying, okay, there's stuff going on here, and and I'm looking at the wage growth, and that feels like that's 
what we need to get inflation back in the bottle and keep the Fed at bay. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. If you want oil too, oil's flat. Oh yeah. Oil, oil's down too. Yeah. Flat. Which, flat. It's flat, 82, flat. $82 and change. And of course that's down like 10 bucks a barrel, right? In the last week or something. Yeah. 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 Few which days. is good news. Right. Yes. Okay. So, so let's talk about the run up in interest rates. And and by the way, six basis points, that that's still a lot, but that's not, this bond market's been moving six basis points every 30 minutes. It feels like, you know, it's highly volatile. Yes. Um, how, so the 10 year treasury yield is what? 4.8%, something like that. Probably Tenure? if it's yeah. up six basis points and you know, that's up what? a hundred over a hundred basis points more than a percentage point over the past couple three months i would i would think we were kind of in the mid mid to high threes uh, back in back in spring summer now we're up let's say 100 basis points maybe a little bit over that um how how worried are you about that chris in terms of what it means for you know economic growth for the economy uh, how, how big a threat is that to the economy I I I think it certainly will uh, weigh on consumers and businesses. The most obvious channel, the one I've been getting asked the most about this week, is the mortgage market. Right, with the th spreads on mortgages have been averaging around three hundred basis points. So this puts us on track for something close to eight percent uh, mortgage, assuming the ten year does rise to to about five percent here. And that's a that's a big movement. That's you know, that that continues to eliminate uh, the population that can actually afford a mortgage or reduce the population that can actually afford a mortgage at the prevailing rate, given the uh, level of house prices. And it's not just the existing home sales that we're seeing; it's increasingly more the new home sales that are getting um, taking on some of this uh, this uh, decline, and that goes right to you know, builders and GDP and jobs potentially. So I don't think it's, you know, crisis moment yet, but certainly if we continue down this path, it's going to continue to impact that uh, that sector. And then more broadly, right, the higher borrowing costs are going to uh, impinge on the ability of, of businesses to hire, to expand as well. So so I think it's, it's going to slow things. Again, I, it seems as though there's enough... Uh, dry powder here to offset some of the um, the effects so it doesn't push us right into recession but it certainly slows things down yeah i i'm i'm hard pressed though to get overly worried about it i mean you you put your you pointed to the one sector of the economy that's the most rate sensitive sector of the economy mm -hmm. single family housing and you know you look at single family housing and it feels like it's kind of sort of navigating this pretty gracefully. I mean, home sales are down, right? A lot because of all the interest rate locks. So the fixed mortgage rate at closing in on eight, the average coupon in an existing mortgage, you know, if you look at all the mortgages out there that people have, it's 3.5%. So people have no economic, there, there's a strong economic incentive not to move, right? Because I've got yeah. this three and a half percent mortgage. If I sell my home, to go buy another home, get another mortgage, I'm going from three and a half to an eight. My monthly payment's just going to be unaffordable. So I'm not moving. So home sales are in the deep freeze, but they were at the deep freeze back at 7%, you know? So I'm not sure. And sure. in terms of its you economic get... impact, that's relatively modest. And then you look at home. That's on building. the supply side, right? On the supply side. 
Yeah. So you don't, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to move at, uh, at a six and a half percent mortgage. I'm not going to move at seven and a half. I'm not going to move at eight. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. But yeah. that, but on the demand side, right. The affordability side, you know, those renters who potentially could have come in to purchase homes, well, they're, they increasingly are just set to the sidelines. They're, they're really locked out of the market. Oh, sure. And I'm not arguing. Afford, right? Yeah. I'm not arguing that's yeah. good. Uh, it's bad. I mean, it weighs on home ownership, but I don't know that in the near term, as a near term threat to the economy, it's that big a deal. I mean, it's, the big deal would be if you saw a big decline in constru- housing construction, single family housing construction. And as you yeah. pointed out, we have not seen that yet because builders have responded to the uh, increase in interest rates and weakening in affordability by effectively cutting, I think this is right, effectively cutting their price on the home, right? One way of doing that is buying down the mortgage, right? So buying down meaning uh, I, the home builder, will cover you know a point or two of the mortgage rate increase for a year or two to keep the effective cost down, the effective price down to make this more affordable for you. And that's helped to yeah. keep new home sales up uh, reasonably so and kept single family housing construction from from caving. And that 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 would be the, I think the probably the biggest chan- most significant channel through which interest rates would affect the housing market, which would affect the economy. That is that is that fair? Yeah, I guess we could debate how how much uh, more room they have to give in terms yeah. of the incentives, okay. but yeah. right. Right, but so far they so they, far the, you know, they've cushioned the blow crazy. here, right, yeah. to the economy. Yeah, right. And you can actually see, go back to the jobs report, look at construction employment. Obviously, a lot of different things going on there, but the weakening in single-family home building hasn't been enough, even enough, to offset the job growth in the other parts of construction. You know, part that's, of that's fiscal policy, part of that's multifamily, and you're still getting positive construction employment growth. And that's the most rate sensitive sector of the economy, right? Yeah. 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 So, so far. So far. Yeah. So far. <laughs> yeah. So far. You're right. So far. I mean, but doesn't, I guess, if that's the most significant channel through which higher long term rates are going to affect the economy in the near term, doesn't feel like it's that big a deal if it's, you know, 4% or 4.5% or even 5% on the 10 year yield. No. Well, I, I guess we've made this point in the past on its own. Sure, they might be yeah. able to digest it. Labor market stays relatively robust, but we've got some other headwinds here uh, potentially as well. So that's- Yeah, I, 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 the... I, I do worry about the higher rates in the context of the second thing you said, and this is, but this is more inner, you know, down the road. It's not like in your face. And that is, you now rates are higher, so any debtor, whether you be a business person or a household, uh, a commercial real estate owner, you know, with a with a loan that's coming due, it's maturing, and now you've got to re up your your mortgage or your loan, and it's going to be at a much higher interest rate, probably under more onerous terms because the banks have tightened down given what happened back in March. That raises the risk that. You know the the business or the household or the property owner can't manage the higher interest payments and therefore defaults. And that hasn't happened yet, but you know feels like if rates stay high for too long and more debt starts to roll over, you could see that happen. And that's to me the real concern. 
but that's not a concern for the fourth quarter or the first quarter. That might be a concern over the next couple of years, depending on how high rates remain and how long they remain there. Is that is that fair? That's right. So the okay. exist for the existing borrower, that's true then. But the the constraint is on the new borrowing, of course, right? Any new activity, I need to borrow to start a new business or expand my business, right? I'm going to face this higher rate. So it, it certainly could restrict additional uh, spending yeah, or investment activity. But it, feel, it feels like this is a corrosive, not a cliff. You know, it doesn't feel like this is a, a stake in the a dagger in the in the heart of the economy. It's one of those things that it's just like a weight on the economy. At some yeah. point, the economy breaks underneath, but it's not it's not one of those things that does us in. It does, it's not a catalyst for recession, is, I guess is what I'm saying. On its own, right? Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah, you need, you need to combine it with something else, right? Yeah, Dante, you've heard this the the conversation around long term rates. Anything you you want to weigh in here on or say? I've got one more thing I want to say, but before I say it, I want to just pass it over to you. No, I mean, I would agree. I don't think th it's not a, a signal of a, a cliff event coming. I think it's it's that headwind and it's the question of you know how long can we run against that headwind and does that eventually cause us to stop moving forward, right? Does, is that eventually enough to sort of cause the economy to roll over? Does something else happen at the same time that sort of adds to that headwind? So yeah, I agree. It's not this you know, sort of singular event that's going to cause everything to fall apart, but it adds pressure and eventually over time that could cause problems. Right. Okay. You know, obviously raises the cost of capital and business investment gets hurt. And, you know, it's not good. It's a, it's a, I'm not arguing it's not a headwind, but it doesn't feel like a headwind that can blow us over here in the near, uh, near term. Here's the other thing. Um, uh, and that is, if you look at the reasons why long-term rates have risen, like the kind of frame, and I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, the framework I use is, uh, I decompose the ten-year yield into three parts. Part one is inflation expectations. You know, what do bond investors think inflation is going to be in the future? They need to be compensated for that. Two, uh, you know, what do they think the Fed's going to be doing? That goes to short-term interest rates, uh, particularly after inflation, re expected real short-term interest rates. And three, the so-called term premium, which is the difference, is the amount of yield uh, interest rate uh, long-term investor uh, an investor in a long-term bond needs to compensate for taking the risk com compared to investing in a short-term bond given all the things that can you know affect interest rates between here and in the long run and if you look in the recent run-up in long-term rates uh, none of it is related to inflation expectations that's been stable as a rock and to the fed's credit uh you know right where you'd expect it to be, right where you'd want it to be. The run-up in rates is largely around the Fed in real short-term interest rates and the so-called term premia. And I feel less worried about that than if it were inflation expectations. You know, if it were inflation, if, you know, because there, one reason yields are up is because bond investors say growth is going to be stronger. Therefore, the Fed's got to keep rates higher for longer. So it's almost like saying rates are up because the economy's strong. Uh, therefore, it's less likely the higher rates is the thing that's going to do the economy in. Am I making any sense at all? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, if it was inflation expectations, you'd go, oh my gosh, that's a problem. Yeah. 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 The Fed's got to go on the warpath, jack up interest rates even more, and we're, we're going. This is going to push us into recession. But if it's not inflation expectations, I feel less worried about it. And here's the other thing on the term premium, that's a melange of stuff. It's hard to disentangle all the things that are driving that term, that term premium. Yeah. 
I'm sure some of it is concerned about the fiscal situation, our budget deficits, and you know that came to the fore after the debt limit debacle later earlier this year because the Treasury had to issue a lot of debt to kind of catch up, and that kind of com- conflated with the, the Fed's quantitative tightening, meaning they're allowing the the treasury securities and mortgage securities on their balance sheet to run off that kind of adds to the supply uh, you know all those things uh, you know uh, are are part of it but it's also just speculation in the bond market it, you know the bond market is a market it's a financial market like the stock market and it's it is in, it's affected by infected by you know momentum players speculators technical factors short sellers you know all kinds of wacko weirdo things going on that are not fundamental they can drive a market for a while, but they can't drive it forever for, for very long because the fundamentals will ultimately prevail. And I suspect a lot of this run up in yield is those momentum players, you know, I, like the Bill Ackman's of the world, you know, they're tweeting about this or the, you know, uh, the, the other Larry Fink or uh, 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 Jamie Dimon talking about long-term rates kind of fans, the kind of the speculation and the momentum players in, in that market. So I, I worry less about that. So I, I guess my point is, I'm less concerned about the run-up in interest rates because of the reasons why interest rates have risen. Okay, I'll stop. I went on a bit of a rant. Chris, does that resonate at all? It does. It does. I guess I, one point I would kind of push back a little bit on is just the inflation expectations. You're right, they are anchored and they've been uh, very... They, the the run-up in, in volatility that we had is, has seemed to be dissipated but they are higher than they were prior to the pandemic. So that would suggest that you know, this is a, a new old regime right, of, of some oh, sort. Oh, rates right? are going to be higher now. I mean, we're, we, I would say they've normal. That's just normalization, that, right? That's right. Well, I guess- The weird thing my, was before, right? Exactly. Back to my earlier okay. point, right? Okay. So I, I think you agree there that yeah. we're not going back to 2 3%, right, as the normal. That's not the- no, oh, oh, yeah, no, 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 right. In fact, I would argue that two, three percent was was the one, one thing that abnormal was unhealthy. It was right. not that's you when people said, "Is the economy back to full swing after the financial crisis?" I would always say, N- "I would argue no," because interest rates were had not norm inflation had not normalized and interest rates had not normalized. But now they feel like they've normalized. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. okay. And here's the other thing, you know. In, and you can attest to this, Chris. We have had in our outlook for the for long-term interest rates, kind of a four percent ten-year treasury yield. <clears throat> That's kind of been the stake in the ground in our forecast. And you know, if you go back pre-pandemic, we had that forecast. And of course, back then rates were a lot lower. And we came under withering criticism, consistently withering criticism from from clients and others saying, What are you what are you talking about? We're never going to get back to four percent. But we had the four percent, and four right now we're four eight, which is a little, you know, it's higher than four. But you know, it, going back to my, I think this is going to be the title of our podcast. It's within statistical spitting distance of four percent, given that the bond market moves ten basis points in an hour, right? I mean, am I wrong? Yeah, yeah. When the ten year was four one, just like a month ago, at the beginning of September, it was basically a four ones. I mean, you're talking about yeah. a huge movement in a month, and so you expect some of that could easily come back off just as quickly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I I think uh, I I don't get oh, I don't get hair I certainly don't get hair on the fire. I'm, I'm not even sure how much how worried I should be at a four eight. 
you know, if it goes to five and above and stays there, then yeah, I, I, we got, you know, that's going to be a problem ultimately. But if it, you know, four, eight goes down to four, five, four and a quarter over the next few months, I, I'm not sure our big deal. Agreed? We're roughly so? No? I guess it's the speed and duration, right? Okay. We can adjust to anything, right? Pretty much. But I can't, go up to <laughs> I can't I can't adjust to anything. Everything's gotta be exactly the same <laughs> for me. I gotta get my Wawa coffee every morning. If I don't have my Wawa coffee, I got a problem. So nothing's gotta change. Nothing can oh. change. <laughs> Fair I enough. can't adjust to anything. <laughs> but anyway, I get your point. I get your point. I get your point. Now Dante, he can adjust to anything. That guy, you know, he's nothing, dynamic. Nothing bothers that guy. I'm telling you, he's like uh, even keel. I got that's what I shoot for. I know. Yeah. I gotta meet your wife. I mean, she must be bouncing off the walls. <laughs> yeah. It's not as uh, even keeled as I am. That is true. Really? Oh, yeah. that's scary. <laughs> scary. Uh what about your kids? Uh, they must be they're the guy, they're bouncing off the walls, I'm sure. Well, no? yeah. I think age has more of a, a role in that than their actual personality, but yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, very good. Hey, um, one last thing. Uh, uh, Chris, oil prices. That's the thing that had been really yeah. <laughs> making us nervous. Are you less nervous now that oil prices are down or not? It's just too early to feel good about that. Because oil was, I think it was just last week we were talking about this. Oil was 90, yeah. 95 bucks and it yeah. felt like it was going to 100. Now it's 80, 85 bucks. And at our macro meeting again, we we're talking to Chris Lafakis and Juan Pablo. Oh, Juan Pablo wasn't there. Chris Lafakis. And he's saying, he thinks this is real that we're, you know uh, we're going to be in the 80s uh, does that make you feel better if it's true it makes me feel better. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> i'm still nervous though right there that yeah. market of course was yeah subject to all sorts of movements so. i know i know okay but so. but, it, but it, it, i'll take it right you yeah see? absolutely i'll take it if we can stay in this range i think we can manage if we yeah. can keep the tenure in this range i think we can manage it's uh, well, the other good point he made that hadn't resonated with me until he, he was telling me this a few days ago, gas price, gasoline prices have actually remained, even though oil prices have gone up, gas prices have not. And that goes to you know the, the fact that we're in a seasonally weak period of uh, gas demand, you know, the less driving. And the so-called crack spread, the kind of spread between uh, refiners charge for the refined product and the uh, crude is very, very wide and probably going to come in. And that's going to keep gas prices down, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, cheaper, you know, relative to oil than um, at least for the next few months, uh, that's going to be the case. And that's also very positive. Yeah. Okay. I had, I think I saw a statistic that we were actually using less oil or less gasoline uh, today than we were back in 2019. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, so. yeah. Yeah, oil consumption here in the U.S. is about a million barrels a day less Lower. than what it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, so yeah, so moving in the right direction. Okay, let's uh, let's end with the probabilities of recession. Okay, I don't think I've done this with Don. Well, since you were last on Dante, uh, yeah. what is your probability of recession? Let me tweak it a little bit now because we're now in October. What is the probability that a recession will start? at some point between now and the end of 2024. So on the other side of the presidential election. I don't think it changes my expectation. I mean, I think a month ago I was at a third and I would certainly nothing today has changed that. And I don't think, you know, I think things have settled enough over the last couple of weeks that I would still say a third. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, and Chris, I'm going to stick with 45. 45. Chance. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's just too many yep. things moving around, shut down, still on the table here. So, yep. Lot to yep. worry about. Okay. Now I'm still at one third. I was at, you know, I'm at thir- just to be clear, I was at 30% in the coming year. And then if you add in that one additional quarter, end of next year, so one, just probabilistically, you know, one, one third. Um, okay. Very good. Um, anything else guys, before we call it a podcast, I, I think this one was turned out to be at least an hour. So <laughs> no matter what we do, it's going to keep it under an hour. hour. Yeah. Keep it under an hour. Yeah. Uh, but anything else you want to bring up? You, uh, look yeah. forward to having Marissa back. Yeah. I can't wait, wait to hear about her trip to Japan. I mean, yeah. that'll be really interesting. Hopefully she's having a good time. Um, Dante, anything? No, I'm good. Okay. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. And um, I'm going to be on the road, hopefully, uh, next couple, three weeks, really for the next month or so. I'm kind of the Asian, European, Middle Eastern tour. So, but I'm dedicated no matter where, no matter when I do the podcast. I haven't missed this podcast for two and a half years plus, and I don't plan to miss it, miss it anytime in the near future. It's so one of the funnest things we do every every week. So with that, dear listener, we're going to call this a podcast. Take care now, everyone.